This podcast brought to you by ACES, the American Society of Information Science and Technology, the Society for Information Professionals, by the IA Summit, the premier gathering place for information architects and other user experience professionals, by Boxes and Arrows. Visit boxesnarrows.com slash about slash participate to be a part of your peer-written journal. And special thanks to Axure and Morin for sponsoring Boxes and Arrows, as well as the many other sponsors of the IA Summit. You wrote some web content. You followed the usability guidelines. It's findable, scannable, relevant, and readable. But it's dry. It's cold. It doesn't win your users over. They're not buying, not converting, or not taking the action you'd like them to take. Turns out what's missing is a big something. Influence. Partner at 3Brick, Colleen Jones, presents a practical guide to influencing through content, an approach that is neither marketing fluff nor manipulation, but critical to a company and its users achieving their respective goals. She educates attendees on how to turn usable content from blah to brilliant. I hope everyone enjoys the podcast. Cheers. Uh, thank you all so much for coming. Uh, really excited to uh, see a, a turnout for this topic. I wasn't really sure if uh, this topic would be of interest or not. Um, but after the content uh, strategy consortium that happened Thursday, I'm uh, very convinced that uh, paying attention to our content is is a major need uh, out there, and uh, we have a lot uh, that we can do uh, and work on uh, in that regard. So just very quickly, a little bit about me. Uh, I'm Colleen Jones. I'm not the Olympic uh, curler from Canada, and I'm also not the aunt of Sarah Palin, as interesting as that would be. But I'm a user experience and content uh, consultant. Uh, I've been in the trenches for uh, more than 10 years uh, on the client side and the agency side. And I'm really excited about this topic of influential content. So I'm going to share some thoughts. And uh, hopefully, we'll have a little bit of time for questions. I know we're getting started a little bit late. Um, and I really want to offer some uh, handy, practical tips and examples in the process of doing this. So before we get into some of the, the practical stuff, I just wanted to um, really reiterate why I think we should be thinking about and talking about influential content. Um, in tough economic times, uh, this really is uh, when we need to try and be aggressive for our organizations, for our companies, for our employers, and really show the value um, and be very clear about the value um, of the products and services we're offering. Um, if we're trying to launch a new product or service uh, to educate and persuade people to try it, uh, even though economically there's a little bit of an atmosphere of fear. Uh, another reason, a little more uh, theoretical, we might say, is our content is a social actor. Now, you might remember uh, B.J. Fogg in the book Persuasive Technology talks about three ways in which technology uh, is persuasive. And one of those ways is being a social actor, creating a relationship uh, with people ongoing over time. And the more and more I think about it, uh, the more I 
am convinced that it's really the content that is the social actor in a lot of our experiences. And our content is not just one social actor, but on a particular website, uh, your content might be your salesperson, uh, it might be your customer service representative, it might be your tech support representative. And so thinking about how your content is sort of um, enhancing uh, or in many cases replacing uh, some of these in-person interactions uh, in an automated way, uh, I think brings a new perspective to it. So is our content you know, talking like a star salesperson or is it talking like a cheesy used car salesperson? Is it talking like a customer service representative who cares or is it talking like someone that uh, doesn't really care in the least? Another reason I think we need to be thinking about this is that analysts are talking about it and if analysts are talking about it then uh, executives uh, might be talking about it or at least thinking about it uh, and analysts uh, with uh, companies such as Forrester definitely have a large influence on uh, business and uh, industries as a whole and we need to pay attention to what they're saying about this. So they are talking about something called persuasive content and uh, Forrester in particular talks about that in terms of uh, being relevant very relevant content and I think that is key and I think that uh, it's very important and you can't go wrong with trying to be very relevant with your content but there's more to being persuasive and influential uh, than that and then finally very practically uh, if we're going to be thinking about this we need to plan uh, in our information architecture in our interaction design in our experiences how are we going to accommodate this type of content and how are we going to get it done? How are we going to get more attention uh, and care put into our content? So I wanted to set up the, the problem that I'm trying to solve or at least make a start uh, toward solving which is um, we know usable content. Uh, these are some of the characteristics that our community, I think, tends to associate with content being usable. Um, and these are some of the, the key resources that I think a lot of us are familiar with in terms of the content uh, being very clear, um, easy to access, easy to read or scan, uh, those sorts of things. And None of those things really address um, whether the content is having an effect or not, whether the, the content is having influence. Um, certainly being relevant and providing all of the information uh, that a user might need is, is a, a part of it. Um, but when you think about influence, and this is one definition of influence, uh, there's a little bit more to consider. And so some of the problems that I've encountered after you know, more than 10 years of being in the trenches of projects and um, 
efforts and initiatives around these sorts of things, I found that uh, content can be usable, but not necessarily influential, or at least not as influential uh, and persuasive as it could be. Um, as I mentioned before, I think relevancy is important, um, but there's more to it than that. And also, I think just making the relevancy very clear uh, to the user or customer uh, is something that gets lost as well. And also, in my experience, uh, interactive marketing and user experience, um, if they're in the same organization or working on the same project, can push for different extremes when it comes to content. And uh, it can really cause a lot of strife and conflict on a project, make it difficult to get things done. And so just a couple quick examples of what I'm talking about. Uh, this is the meat of a page from Holiday Inn. And it is content about a particular Holiday Inn property. It's got some usable features. It's got uh, navigation to everything you could possibly need to know about uh, this particular hotel. And it's pretty complete, uh, pretty relevant information. But if you look at it more closely, uh, the photos are not really of a good quality. The photos are taken of areas or objects within the property that maybe aren't the most uh, what users are probably the most interested in or what put the property you know, in the best possible light, not really putting the best possible foot forward for the property. And then uh, reading the, the text, um, it becomes very clear, especially if you look at more than one property, that there's a lot of variation in the quality of that text. And uh, it's written in a way that is you can tell that it's written by hotel managers, hotel owners, people who aren't really used to having to write or communicate uh, in more of a written way. And this is kind of an opposite extreme. Um, so there's some pants uh, that I've put in my cart for Victoria's Secret. And I get to check out, and this uh, ad slides down my screen. And it's trying to influence me to add something to my cart, to add a tank top to my cart. Now, it's doing some good things to try and influencing me. Uh, it is showing an attractive person in a tank top. So maybe if uh, I buy a tank top, I'll be attractive as well. But it is really disrupting my experience. And in order to move forward, I have to close this out and I think you could argue very convincingly that this is not a terribly usable uh, way of introducing influential content. So I think we need a balance here. Uh, I'm a very practical person, and yes, we need to put our best foot forward. And as user experience uh, professionals or, and people who work in this space, uh, that's a valid thing for us to consider and, and think about. Um, I don't think making fun of interactive marketers, uh, which I hear a lot, 
um, is very productive or useful. And I think that we can have it all, that we can have uh, really high quality, usable content that also is influencing. So I have just a few practical uh, tips and uh, resources regarding this. So let's say uh, you've got some usable content, some content that's pretty solid and you wanna add a little more influential uh, spice or zest to it. So this is my first uh, tip or recipe and it's quite simple, talk like a person. And it's amazing how often this is overlooked. Um, I think this is a little bit beyond just being conversational. Um, it's really kind of reflecting uh, what an in-person interaction might be like uh, in your text, um, in your language, in your content. So this is an example of a product description that uh, to me reads like a content management system threw up a little bit. It's got, on first glance, uh, some usable features. It's chunked, it's got bulleted lists, uh, but if you look a little bit more closely at it, if you actually were trying to read this to get some information about the product, uh, it's a string of phrases. Some content is uh, repeated without really a, a clear reason why. It's a mix of specifications and features and benefits and manufacturing numbers. Um, not a lot of thought or craft put into this. And in contrast, this is a product uh, description for method. And it's chunked, it's got some usable features as well. But it, if you actually read it, um, you can see that it reflects a lot of thought. Uh, it reads like someone is actually talking about this, someone who actually cares about this product um, and thinks it's gonna benefit you, uh, like a good salesperson would. It also reflects some emphasis and just the fact that this much thought was put into it uh, to me, reflects some enthusiasm for the product. Being polite, definitely important, and I hope that we remember this even in more constrained interactions and, and interfaces, and eBay has a nice example of just uh, subtly, concisely uh, maintaining that politeness in its mobile experience. IVRs, very important in audio, uh, speech interaction, um, and IVR is just one of those, to talk like a person, to stay conversational. People don't remember uh, what you say if they don't have a visual uh, re reference. So they're not gonna remember a whole lot of words uh, at one time, a whole lot of ideas at one time. So writing prompts very concisely, yet uh, sounding like a person in an easy to remember way. It's very hard, it's very tricky, and believe it or not, Amtrak uh, does a nice job of that. Establishing credibility. Uh, again, this sounds kind of obvious, but it's amazing how often this is just left out, not really considered, or uh, becomes more of an afterthought. Uh, quite obviously, people tend to trust uh, 
tend to find someone who is trustworthy and seems trustworthy more credible, more influential than someone who is not. And so thinking about how our content is showing why we are trustworthy, why we are credible is important. Uh, so just a couple examples. Scanner is a product that uh, kind of new, uh, you know, an interactive um, web 2.0 sort of product. And on the homepage, some reviews uh, by major widely known brands such as the Wall Street Journal are featured. So adding some credibility there. Got Vmail, I think, does a really, really nice job of uh, bringing in a lot of elements to reinforce credibility uh, in a concise, easy to understand way. This is the bottom of their homepage. And they also do things like this uh, throughout other um, pages and other uh, aspects of the experience. Tone, using the right tone is so important. Uh, if you think about it with uh, an in-person interaction, uh, we read a lot into tone. We, we tell a lot from how someone is uh, saying something. And it's no different you know, with our content. Paying attention to tone is really important for reflecting brand personality, uh, brand values and characteristics. Um, and it's also important for being sensitive to the emotional situations in which customers and users might be coming to our experiences. So just a quick example, um, these are some instructions for an online insurance claim form. Uh, and this company is very excited about how easy its claim form is. But most people, uh, when they have to file a claim, have had some sort of kind of negative experience. Something's been stolen, natural disasters happen, you know, whatever it might be, and kind of irritated, uh, kind of feel like, you know, more hassle I've got to work into my very busy day. And uh, I can just see this triggering someone uh, to think, I don't care how easy your claim form is. I need help, and I need it now. So this is just an example of how that tone can be tweaked a little bit, show some sensitivity to the situation that the user or the customer is likely in. Um, and wording, wording alone, uh, through the tone, I think, uh, goes a long way with that. Another example uh, is Bliss. I think the Bliss website, as well as their other uh, communications, do a really nice job of conveying a clear and effective uh, tone that fits its brand personality. Uh, but they adjust that tone appropriately for the situation. So in their customer service area where someone might be uh, coming with some confusion, a question, potentially irritation over something they ordered uh, isn't what they expected, those sorts of things, the tone is dialed back a notch. It is uh, still there, it's still the same personality, but there isn't you know, as much sarcasm, not as much rhyming. Um, and so, some of those uh, more over-the-top features um, like you have in their product descriptions. 
being courteous. Now, upselling, cross-selling, and doing things to sort of take advantage of the opportune moments that, that we've got in automated uh, self-service experiences is very important. Um, but we've got to do it in the right way. We've got to do it courteously. Uh, Jenny Reddish, in the book, Letting Go of the Words, talks about marketing moments and basically trying to do things like upsell and cross-sell after we fulfill a user's need, uh, we address a customer's inquiry, that kind of thing. And just kind of building on that, I think uh, as long as we're not really disrupting uh, what the user or the customer is doing, as we saw in the Victoria's Secret example, and we're staying relevant, um, I think uh, that we're, we're going to be safe here. And I think we also can uh, do things like upsell and, and cross-sell while in the process of uh, meeting a user or customer's need. And this is just a quick example of that. This is a Dell uh, credit card uh, promotion, essentially, in the context of payment, in the context of uh, a customer's order total. And if you actually follow this, it uh, doesn't really take the user out of the process. They can stay within the checkout process and, and get the information and application uh, right then and there. Reminding customers of differentiators, benefits, and how and why we appreciate our customers. As I mentioned earlier, uh, this is really the time to do that. Uh, and I think we could do that in bold ways as well as subtle ways. JetBlue has uh, some nice content around this on their website. It's uh, actually a few pages of content, very bold, very well thought out, that address uh, and demonstrate uh, their values around customers, uh, customer experience, customer advo advocacy. AutoTrader uh, has a nice example of incorporating it more subtly uh, on their search interstitial page. They've got a reminder here of how many listings that they're searching through, which really is the value uh, proposition of their product and business. Appealing to the left and the right brain. So we have known from a rhetorical perspective ever since Aristotle that uh, logical appeals, appealing to our, our sense of rationality and logic, um, alone isn't enough to persuade. Appealing to emotion uh, alone is not enough to persuade. Uh, we really have to think about both. We have to keep both of those in mind. And we might need to shift the emphasis of those uh, depending on the context, depending on who our customers uh, and users are. So just a couple of quick examples about that. This is a product page from Northern Tool Equipment uh, for a generator, very exciting. And it's uh, very expensive, uh, it's $5,000. It really emphasizes the logical appeals, the specs, 
the performance, the numbers, uh, those sorts of things, which is very appropriate. This is a different product page uh, for fashionable shoes, and the emphasis is more on the emotion. Uh, a lot of attention given to imagery, uh, different angles, that sort of thing. The, the text, the language around the product uh, is emphasizing the style and how you feel uh, when wearing such stylish shoes and, and that sort of thing. So really appealing more to emotion, but there's still some elements of, of logic as well. Another example in a different space, this is uh, the Department of Health and Human uh, Services website, their homepage, and you can see it's very much about credibility and logic. These are the things that we're doing. Uh, this is who we're connected with, things of that nature. Whereas the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention homepage uh, is introducing some appeal to emotion, uh, more imagery, uh, more messaging around uh, what to do about their credible information. So the appeals to logic, uh, emphasizing their data, emphasizing their research-based information, all of that is still there, uh, but you've got some appeal to emotion uh, introduced here as well. Stories are a really exciting, effective way to influence. Uh, they, are, they are an excellent way to uh, combine logical and emotional appeals into an easy to remember uh, package. Now there is a fair amount of talk going on about stories. The book Neuro Web Design actually talks about stories from a psychological perspective, uh, which is really uh, important and valuable. And this is just a little bit more of a rhetorical perspective. But I think the fact that people remember stories uh, is very important for us to keep in mind. A couple of common stories to tell in terms of our content uh, that can be very effective are brand or product history stories as well as customer success. So the Mini Cooper website devotes some content to uh, the story of its brand history. Makes a lot of sense uh, because the Mini Cooper is uh, essentially the revival of, of a product from long ago. And also the story taps into a lot of values uh, that are very relevant uh, today. So the story of innovating in a time of uh, hardship and also the idea of uh, conservation, those really come through in these stories and uh, I think are very, very effective. User Insight is a research firm in Atlanta. And they recently redesigned their website and they asked me for some feedback on their content, asked me for some recommendations around that. And one thing I recommended is that they tell the story of their founding. It's a compelling story that shows uh, their credibility, um, shows their values. Uh, Dr. John Morgan started User Insight after more than 20 years at IBM, pioneering usability, testing, traveled all over the world doing it. 
uh, set up one of the first usability labs, and he left there with a vision of making uh, research easier, faster, uh, better, more useful for the business world. That's a pretty compelling story. Uh, they did not want to include that. Uh, and so we had uh, some discussion around that. And they felt, you know, we're a usability company. Uh, we don't think our customers, our, our potential clients and other people are going to be interested in that information. They're just going to want to know what we can do for them and then go. So they went into uh, testing with concept for their website, uh, and they found that people were asking for this type of content. And the reason people were asking for it is because they viewed considering a company like this kind of a long-term investment in terms of their time and their money. And they felt that they had the right to know uh, what the company valued. Um, they had a right to know uh, what they were about, uh, how they came about, uh, what the personality of the company is, and those sorts of things. And so after that testing, um, they decided, yeah, we're going to include this type of content. We see the benefit and the value of it now. And not only did I get to say I told you so, which is always fun, um, I really saw, again, uh, the value of testing uh, and research when it comes to content. I think it's something that we don't do nearly enough, and I would like to see more of that done. Also, just a quick reminder that stories can be concise. They don't have to be pages and pages of content. Um, this customer testimonial tells the success that a customer has had in just a couple of sentences. Um, and that can be very appropriate and effective as well. So my final practical uh, tip that actually is, is getting it a little bit more um, complex, you might say, is to use metaphors or at least think about where it might be appropriate to use them. If you have uh, any sort of communication background at all, you know that metaphors are useful for describing and articulating something that's new in terms of something that people are already familiar with. And they're also helpful for articulating the abstract, an abstract kind of fuzzy concept in terms of something tangible that, that we can see and, and feel and, and touch. And more recently, uh, thanks to the book uh, Marketing Metaphoria, we know that they tap into our unconscious universal needs. Um, I'd highly recommend checking out that book. It's, it's really fascinating. But uh, basically, uh, Gerald Zellman and uh, Lindsay Zellman have done a bunch of qualitative research, interviews with thousands and thousands and thousands of people all over the world. And they found um, seven key metaphors that really uh, resonate uh, with people consistently, no matter uh, background, race, uh, geography, those sorts of things. So I think um, 
they have a lot of potential, especially with, uh, there was a, a presentation yesterday about experience themes and uh, a metaphor uh, could be an exciting way to really express uh, and maybe help think of uh, experience themes. So a couple of practical tips as far as metaphors. Um, it's important to make the metaphor clear enough uh, to where the likeness between what you're comparing um, is clear, but not so far that you start to point out how they aren't alike and the metaphor breaks down um, and you start creating confusion. It's also important to think about the connotations of uh, what you choose to compare. So for instance, if you have a service and you're trying to convey that it's very efficient, you might not want to compare it to the efficiency of a toilet. Uh, some pretty undesirable connotations as far as that goes. So just one example of a metaphor, Apple uses a cloud to, to position its mobile me services. And on the surface, that metaphor is, is tapping into cloud services and, and that metaphor used in information technology. Um, but with the appearance of the cloud as a, something that's holding the email, the calendar, everything a person might uh, need in terms of their personal information, and then the phrasing, um, simple way to keep everything in sync, uh, I think you could argue that they're tapping into a deeper metaphor of container. And in marketing metaphoria, uh, the, the Zellmans talk about container as our need to uh, have boundaries, our need to keep what we want in, uh, what we don't want out, and essentially our need to be in touch, to be in sync. So I don't know whether Apple did this intentionally, um, or not, but this uh, surface metaphor tapping into a deeper metaphor um, is very, very uh, powerful and influential. So those are the practical uh, tips. And again, I hope that you get uh, some immediate uh, benefits from considering those uh, sorts of elements for your content. And I just wanted to offer a few more thoughts. I'm gonna check the, how we're doing on time here. Um, I will just offer a couple of quick final thoughts. I think that uh, we need to pay attention to things like linguistics and rhetoric and the emerging uh, discipline or field of, of content strategy, in addition to cognitive psychology when we're thinking about persuasion and influence. Um, there's a lot uh, out there from psychology on this topic, which I think is great, uh, but we also need to uh, remember that language is uh, still uh, the main way, uh, significant way, uh, in which our experiences that we're designing um, are communicating. And so if we ignore 
you know, use of language and that sort of thing, we are really missing out on an opportunity to make our content as influential and effective as possible. And I've got some uh, resources in here uh, that I will make available and share, but I'd like to close with just um, a couple of final thoughts. Um, the Holiday Inn example that I mentioned at the beginning, where we had kind of a so-so design with so-so content. Uh, I've been working with that for several, several months now. And Intercontinental Hotels Group has been working on rebranding, repositioning uh, the Holiday Inn brand. And they've started to do that uh, on the web as well. And they found very quickly that they are on the road to creating a gorgeous uh, design, uh, really, really elegant, uh, really visually appealing, that was going to be filled with really lackluster content. And so Intercontinental Hotels Group decided to do a pilot uh, comparing within their existing current old design the content that was currently there, which I talked about uh, at the beginning, and then professionally created, professionally written uh, photos, text, descriptions, and they decided to see what happened. They found that uh, the version of the experience with the influential content, uh, the professionally done content, uh, resulted in significant basis point increase in conversions and bookings at their hotels. Uh, so significant that they decided to uh, invest a lot of time and a lot of money in completely redoing the content for uh, each of their Holiday Inn properties that had converted to the new brand. So in other words, they decided to uh, really put forth a lot of time, a lot of effort, a lot of money into making their content more influential. Uh, so I think it's something that has business value. It's something that uh, companies, as they uh, realize the importance of it, realize the effect of it, are really going to be willing to pay money and spend time for. And then finally, just a quick note about why I especially uh, love this topic of influential content. Um, if you've ever read the book uh, Blink, it talks about how we make decisions very quickly um, and the good and the bad of that. And one uh, potentially bad aspect of it is we make decisions about uh, people uh, based on, you know, what they look like, what they sound like, how tall or short they are, those sorts of things. We make quick judgments and decisions about people, no matter how good our intentions are. Um, and there's a lot of research to support this. But we do that uh, no matter how hard we uh, try. And 
this book tells the story of uh, a car salesman named Bob Galam, who realized that this was an issue. And he decided to uh, consciously try to treat every customer um, as a prospect. And uh, you might know in, in the car industry, um, they can be particularly bad about uh, profiling, uh, so to speak, customers, uh, targeting them um, as to whether they could really afford a car uh, or not. So Bob decided, you know, I'm not going to do that. Uh, everyone that I come across is equally uh, likely to buy a car in my mind. And he blew everyone else's sales out of the water. And if you think about it, if we're paying attention to our content and we are doing this in you know, our increasingly uh, automated, online, self-service sorts of experiences, we are providing everyone, uh, no matter what they look like, sound like, uh, with a comparable customer experience. And that's really exciting from a moral perspective, you might say, and also really exciting from a business perspective. It gets results. So I really hope that we start to pay more attention uh, to influential content in our experiences. So thank you very much. To hear even more presentations from the 2009 IA Summit, point your browser to boxnarrows.com and click on the podcast link. There you'll find access to the iTunes feed and more information about each presentation. Our heartfelt thanks to the organizers and sponsors of the 10th Annual IA Summit, the presenters, and of course to the global community. We look forward to feedback about future episodes that will be of greatest value to you, our listeners.